0: Welcome to the OA Light a Candle meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep the special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Lynn. Hi, I'm Lynn. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I have pictures. First, congratulations to the chip taker, happy birthday, and welcome to the newcomers. I just want to share that this is my story, my experience, and yours might be the same or different, and neither of it's good or bad or right or wrong. It is what it is, so um, I just want to get that out there. I came into Readers Anonymous in 1986, and the only thing that I've done perfectly is I've kept coming back. Um, I have almost three years of abstinence, and I'm down 132 pounds. So, um, obviously, there were 21 years that I kept coming back and did not have physical recovery, So, and I'll get to that, but a lot happened in that 21 years, so... Um, anyway, I grew up in back in the East Coast, New York. My dad was a kosher butcher. I was brought up in a Jewish, middle-class, conservative household. And I learned how to eat because that's how my dad and my mom ate. My dad was a 100-pounder and always heavy, and my mom was always in the 50-pound range. And we ate a lot of meat. That's what we did. And I was overweight my entire life as a, a baby and, and as a You know, an adolescent and a teenager and an adult. My dad would, you know, if I was hungry, go put a frankfurter on the barbecue. You know, that's what I would have as a snack. Um, For lunch, my dad would or my mom would um, make a sandwich of salami that was like over an inch thick. I wanted peanut butter and jelly like the rest of the kids, but they thought that was fattening. So instead, I got salami sandwiches. Uh, birthday cake was fattening, you know, uh, so have roast beef. So there was a lot of meat in my family, obviously, and, um, which contributed to my weight as well as I, I remember catching my dad sneak eating a few times. And I remember the shame I felt for him, but it taught me that it's not okay to eat in front of people, so go ahead and do it when nobody's around. So nobody will know. So that's how I learned how to sneak eat. That, he taught me that. He died of this disease uh, in 1995. He went off to work one day and had a fatal massive heart attack. I knew he was going to have a heart attack someday. I just didn't know that the one would be fatal, you know. And uh, my uh, mother did the um, the outside... Uh, It was an outside issue. I'm trying to keep the traditions right there. So went to one of these popular outside places. And she, uh, she lost her 50 pounds, and she would then have me go at nine years old. So now, instead of bringing for lunch an inch salami sandwiches, I'm bringing a little Tupperware with tuna in it, roasted peppers, no mayonnaise, you know, and some whatever. I don't even know what was in it. But again, my food was different than everybody else's. So the shame one more time. So I had so much shame around food. That's how I was brought up. So, you know, I don't wonder how I became a compulsive overeater. That was just my lot in life. That was just my family. Um, I have a brother who, in in my humble opinion, has this disease. And um, his weight is is up right now, and he goes up and down and up and down, and um, we all have it. We all just have it. So in in my senior year of high school, before I started my senior year, my mom found a doctor for me, and uh, he said I had a thyroid problem, but I do not believe that that's what I had because he gave me some pill, and the pill, uh, I remember when I'd come home and it was time for dinner, I was so not hungry, you know, I would just have maybe a baked potato. So I believe that that pill had to have been some kind of amphetamine but what that pill did for me was I lost weight in my senior year so when I graduated high school I was at a normal weight I went to my senior prom there's a picture of me in my dress there I my my high school we had uh the girls were in white long dresses and the men were in white dinner jackets and I was normal I was a normal weight and still never felt a part of I always felt um, invisible is the word, invisible. So I graduated high school in June, and July 1st we moved to California. So I spent the summer knowing no one. So I because somewhere back then I learned that if I eat, I won't feel. And I didn't want to feel the anger that I didn't get to go away to a four-year school, um, the anger that my parents took me... <clears throat> from my home and my friends Um, I just didn't want to feel that so I ate and there I was up again and you know it's always like I'll never get to 150 and I remember as a kid in elementary school I was hanging with some friends and this guy I had the clear he looks at me and he goes you weigh 150 don't you (laughs) again it's like oh my god you wouldn't ask anybody else what they weighed and I'm like "Uh, no no I weigh 125, figuring that that was an acceptable number. And I don't even know, I wasn't even 13 because I was still in a different, living in a different place at that time. I don't know what weight I should have been as a healthy body weight. I just threw out a number. Um, I just knew that, that I was heavy and he was noticing and he was telling everybody. And, you know, the embarrassment and the shame one more time. And shame of being who I was, you know, not accepting of who I was. And it also taught me that when my weight is up, I don't like myself very much. And that's because I don't feel other people like me. So all this old stuff that we learn by the way we're treated as kids. Um, So anyway, we came back here, and I gained weight. And um, when I was around 21, my mother, you know, God bless her, she was always trying to find something to help me. She found another doctor, and this, this guy was telling me he was giving me amphetamines. And it worked, and it worked, and I lost a bunch of weight, and uh, I was—I think I, you know, hard to remember the numbers, but I must have gotten started at like 160, got down to 140. I don't know. I don't remember the the whole amount of numbers, but I know um, I got down to normal, and then uh, I couldn't, you know, the pill stopped working, and I picked up the food again. And then instead of, like, being at 160, I was, like, 175. And I'm never, ever, ever going to get to 200. I know it. And got to 200. So when I was 29, I think it was, or 28, 29, um, a friend of mine suggested going to Overeaters Anonymous. Her therapist had suggested to her. Now, I met her when I was um, in this exercise guru's, Studio that I would go to all the time, and we had all these friends, and and I felt comfortable because we were all heavy, and um, she also smoked a lot of dope, and she was my smoking buddy and my binge buddy, and so we um, her her therapist said suggested it, and I knew nothing about twelve steps, nothing. I knew my mom worked uh, as a business in a business management firm, and she had a client, and I remember her going to a party for somebody who was in AA and was celebrating a birthday and got a cake. I remember that. But I didn't know anything about OA or if there were cakes or not cakes or whatever. So I said that, um, sure, why not? You know, I'll try anything. I tried so many outside issues prior to that, you know, um, food plans and whatever, They everything I tried, and my belief is everything works if you deal with what's going on in here and in here, um, any food plan will work. So she, her and I went to our first meeting in February of 1986, and we left my house. I was living in Glendale at the time, and we put the Pepsis in the freezer. We, lit, we packed the pipe,
1: put it in the glove compartment,
0: and went off to our meeting. And there was like over 200 people in this room. And we walked in, and I didn't know that there was a newcomer's meeting before, so we got there just before the meeting started. And I saw everybody was hugging each other, and everybody knew each other. Now, again, I always felt different in high school. And I had a group of friends, but it was a very small circle of friends. I was not, you know, the popular kid. And I was looking around, and everybody knew each other and hugged each other and loved each other, and I just I saw something here in these rooms that was really missing in my life so we sat down and you know I I don't know if this is what I heard but this is what I my head says I heard that this speaker talked about how she had been in jail and um, for manslaughter or something and you know my head's going I grew up in a you know, Jewish middle class household in a nice area in New York and I don't know murderers. I don't know any of you people. (laughs) I have no idea what's going on in these rooms but, you know, when it was over, you know, this one was hugging this one and this one was hugging this one and I said, let's go to coffee and there was just something there. So when we left, we got in my car, we lit the pipe, picked up the Chinese food, went back to my house and I said to her, "Are are you going back? And she said, no way. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I think I might. I think I, I might go back. Now, um, I don't remember hearing anything about God. Now, my my upbringing was, God bless my mother. If I, if if we weren't all good people, God was going to punish us. That's what I was taught. And I always tell this story when um, I speak, cause it's a great, just an example of what I had to deal with. Um, I had just gotten a new car, and it was the high holy days it was Yom Kippur and my parents uh, were going to synagogue and my mom said are you going and I'm like no no I'm going to just stay home and watch soap operas and you know I was like you know Lynn God's going to punish you now I brought it you know being brought up when my dad's store was closed for a holiday I didn't go to school but I had to go to synagogue so I just like you know if I didn't have to go to synagogue I wasn't going to synagogue So I said, yeah, whatever. And the next day, I left to go to school. I was going to community college at the time, and my uh, new car was sitting on the sidewalk. It had been hit. And I came in the house, and I was all upset, and my mom said, see? If you would have gone to synagogue yesterday. Now, again, this is just an example. So, you know, my fear, I had a big fear of God if I wasn't the good little girl. So when when I didn't hear God that first day I came in here, but... um, it was really step two was really really hard for me really hard and I to this day I I still have these old tapes that go in my head about that you know if I don't if I'm not perfect God's going to punish me or what did that person do so wrong that God's punishing them and and that's just old tapes that's not that's not the truth so anyway so I said I was going to come back and um It took me two weeks, but I did, and I went to uh, a Monday night meeting in Burbank, and it was on March 10th, 1986, and that was my first day of abstinence, and I got a sponsor because they told me to, and the woman, um, she stood up, and she had lost 90 pounds, and um, she still had quite a bit to lose, but I, at that time, was 210, so obviously I did get over 200 pounds, um... And I thought, well, you know, I wanted, you know, 120 was always the number in my head. And, again, I don't know if that's the right number or wrong number, but that was the number in my head I always wanted to be. So that would be 90 pounds. And um, she lost 90 pounds, so I asked her to be my sponsor because she lost what I wanted to lose. And we never really got into the big book or the 12 and 12. But what we did do was we met for coffee And we met for meals, and we um, had a group of us that would meet for dinner before that Friday night meeting, and then we'd go for coffee afterwards, and then on Saturday morning we'd go to the 10 o'clock in Burbank, and then go to lunch afterwards, and um, if there was a nighttime meeting, we would go to dinner before, and that's what I needed at the time. And in my first uh, six months, I lost 60 pounds. And I remember I wanted to take a chip at the 100-pounder meeting in Reseda. And at that time, you had to be a 100-pounder to take a chip or to pitch or to speak. And I thought, well, that would mean I'd need to be 110. And I thought that that probably was a little low for me. So I decided to up my top weight 10 pounds. And I didn't tell my sponsor. So, therefore, the principle of honesty, which is in step one, was, like, not even working for me and kind of gives you an insight as to why my first 21 years in this program didn't work for me. <laughs> you know, so I upped my, my weight 10 pounds and, um, so that I could take chips at the 100-pounder meeting. Then uh, they also suggest that you don't get into a relationship in your first year, and so I did. And he was a, an addict alcoholic, um, at the time, I guess, in recovery, and, uh, it was going good for a little bit, and then it didn't. Um, his dad died, and he started using, and, um, and he wasn't the right person for me, but you know what, no one, you know, I never had a boyfriend, and no one really asked me out, and I got attention, so, you know, I did. I I went out with him, and... Uh, we would break up a lot and get back together and um, and go to meetings together and then not go to meetings together and sit in separate corners at meetings. And it was like being in high school and you broke up with your boyfriend. It was horrid. And uh, I kept coming back, though. But when we would get back together, um, I would start eating. And when we would break up, I'd get a sponsor and start working a program. So, I had lost the 60 pounds, and uh, I would lose 30 when we were apart and gain 40 when we were together and lose 20 and then gain 30, and I worked my way up to gaining 120 pounds. So I reached my top weight in this program at 282 pounds. And um, i got to tell you, though, I kept coming back. I didn't know where else to go. there's one thing I know, for me, this is the last house on the block. This is home. So it took 10 years for me to finally get that uh, when he called, my amends would be not to go back. That's what I finally got. Um, I sat in these rooms, and again, even though I was eating or not eating, um, my belief is I learned a lot. And I got a lot of spiritual recovery, and I got a lot of emotional recovery. I just didn't always practice recovery. So uh, one time he called, and I said no, and uh, it was really, really hard, and then he called again, and I said no, and no, we can't be friends, and I don't know where it came from, um, but I was able to do it, and the relationship ended, and I started uh, abstaining again. Now, every time I would abstain, though, I uh, very rarely would get into the big book or the 12 Steps. I never, if I wasn't abstaining, I didn't get a sponsor. And again, this is just my story. I didn't want to waste anybody's time. When I'm not willing, I'm not willing. No one's going to make me willing. Uh, my sponsor's not going to make me willing. It just puts a lot of more shame on me for me to call and lie about my food or whatever. So I just wouldn't have a sponsor at that time. But when we, when I, we were apart, I had a sponsor, and I went to the OA 12 and 12 one time, and I did an inventory um, you know, so I, I did some step work, but not a lot, not a lot. And I never was in the big book ever. So uh, anyway, so we broke up for good, and I found a sponsor who was really big on exercise and food. And so that's what we concentrated on. And I lost over 100 pounds. And then I met uh, somebody in program, but I had already been abstinent more than a year now, so it was okay. Uh, but not not doing any step work or reading the big book or anything i would just call my food into my sponsor and then we'd go to the gym together so i uh (laughs) you know so uh i met this person and he was in program and he uh we fell in love and we got married and by the time we got married um we, we started dating in 2000 we were married in may of 2003 and i had gained 80 pounds so, you know, and I was really all I wanted to do was be married, that's all I wanted, and uh he um God bless him, he was fabulous. He you know, worked a good Alan on program. But um I was really happy with my life, but I only knew to eat when I had feelings, whether they were happy feelings or whether they were sad feelings or negative feelings. It didn't it didn't matter. I only knew how to pick up the food. And so that's what I did. And uh, kept coming back, kept coming to these rooms. Oh, during that time, I was coming as, uh, mostly as his wife because, you know, I, I, I felt worthy. You know, I just, on my own, I didn't feel worthy. So, uh, I continued to eat and, um, we really did have a happy marriage. I, you know, just because I was eating didn't mean, I didn't have a happy marriage, but uh, sometime in 2000 and the end of 2005, I was really miserable about my food, and um, I asked somebody to sponsor me, and she had me in the doctor's opinion immediately, and that was October of 2005, and I got abstinent, and January 7th, 2006, I went to take my 90-day chip, and I had lost some weight. And I came home and found out my husband had passed away. And uh, so it was almost five years ago. So I was in shock, I think, mean, obviously. And then um, two months into it, I was on a business trip. And God bless my work. They just kept trying to distract me. So they would send me on business trips, send me away. And I was in Vegas. Um, I worked for a movie company, and we were there for the uh, theater chains. And when you were registered, you got a goodie bag, and literally it was a goodie bag. And inside was concession candy. So I, I'll never forget it, and thank God I will never forget this day. Because, you know, all the other days I can't tell you about, but I can tell you about this day. And I was in my hotel room, and the pain was really, really great, and I couldn't take it anymore. And I opened up the bag and ate through that, and the... um the bar and whatever and you know I had a corporate credit card so it was free all food was free as far as I was concerned and I was off and running I was off and running and um told my sponsor I wasn't willing and that I just needed to eat and that's what I needed to do and it took a year and nine months before the pain of eating got greater than the pain of him dying and I'll never forget that day either and my belief is um, that that's, dif- that's the difference for me right now. I can remember the day I picked up the food, and I can remember the day I put down the food. And that was December 23rd, 2007. And I was at the recovery from relapse meeting, because, again, I never left these rooms, ever. Sometimes I would go to a meeting once a week, sometimes I would go three times a week, and sometimes I'd go once in three weeks, but I never left. And, you know, a lot of my core, core friends are program friends, so I never really left the program, ever. So, anyway... Um, I, uh, I remember coming, going up to this person who uh, I knew she was a relapser and she was a 100-pounder. And she had been in recovery for a long time and lost, you know, lost her weight. And I went up to her and I just said, I can't stop eating. And she said, well, um, how about if you go home and you write 10 things you forgive yourself for and 10 things you forgive your husband for and then call me. And I said, okay. And so I did. And, you know, coming around for 21 years and not getting it and not being an example and having all that shame that I grew up with and had in this room I had a lot of shame, I had to forgive myself for that and learn that this was just my path. And then um, she was a smart woman. She was a real smart woman. And then forgiving my husband for, um, you know, for leaving me. So... I did that, and I called her, and I read it to her, and she agreed to sponsor me. And she immediately got me into the AA 12 and 12. Now, I had I had the book. I've had the book for a really long time. Whenever I'd pick it up and I would read the steps, it just, I just kept hearing, you know, that wah, 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 wah. I'm reading these words, and I have no idea what they're saying. They really were a foreign language to me, and I, I don't, I, obviously, because I just wasn't ready to hear them. That's you know, what I've learned. But at the time, I just, like, I don't know what they're saying. And it's not that I didn't have a problem substituting the word food for alcohol. I literally just would read these words and just not understand what they're saying. So when she said she's going to take me through the A, 12 and 12, I was a little intimidated. But you know what? I was ready. I was ready. And she did. And I did the fourth step in the big book with the columns. And, you know, in my part and you know, my defects and um, my amends and uh, I went through all 12 steps and it it took a while. So now I'm I'm abstaining and I'm abstaining for um, about six months and I'm not losing any weight. I'm not gaining any weight but I'm not losing any weight and it's really frustrating for me and uh, I needed outside help and I knew I needed outside help so I went and got outside help and that's what worked for me. And my sponsor was fine with me getting outside help, and I used it as a tool, and, um, and that's what I did. So when I was around the ninth step, I think my sponsor went into relapse, and um, I begged her. I said, please don't drop me, please, because whenever I called her, she knew exactly what to say to me. There was just this connection, and I understood that she was in relapse, but you know, my belief is she still had something to share. She still had something to give to me. I knew it. And I said, just please don't don't let go of me until I finish going through the 12 steps. And I promise you, I'll find another sponsor. And so she agreed. And we went through the first 12. Ste- you know, we went through the rest of the steps. And then, um, and then I, you know, I'd call her once a week, or you know, I'd call her and she wouldn't answer the phone. And and that was kind of working for me because I didn't have to be accountable, and I was kind of liking it for a while. And then I realized that that wasn't really a good thing for me, that I needed to be accountable. And, um, and I knew that in order to keep what I had, um, it was contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. So I looked for a sponsor who I knew was very, very spiritual. And she's um, a grandmother, and I knew she was loving. And uh, I was good friends with her husband, who he too had passed away, so she had the whole widowhood thing going and um, and she's been sponsoring me ever since. And she takes me to God over and over and over again. Because, you know, my tape, I'm still like, God's going to punish me. God's going to punish me, you know. And uh, she constantly takes me back to, I'm a loving child of God, and God's on my side. So that's where I am today. Uh, I What do I do on a daily basis? Oh, nothing really on a daily basis. (laughs) I try. I really do. Um, I went out because I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, not that anybody can relate. I went out and I bought a chair, a special comfy chair to put in the office of my home, which is where I was going to do all my program work and where I was going to get up in the morning and go and meditate and pray and read my my daily meditation books and do my writing assignments. And um, for a long time, I did that literally on a daily basis. And it really centered me I was telling Walter that I don't feel real centered well that's part of the reason is I'm not doing this on a regular basis but anyway so I I do um occasionally meditate um and pray I do my writing assignments I have a sponsor and I sponsor I don't my time um I work I've been in my company for 30 years and they've seen me obviously grow up and um and I've still got to tell you, there are some days where I think they're going to find out that I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I started as an assistant, and I'm now an executive director, but they're going to find out one day, and they're going to fire me. Uh, you know, when will those things end? I don't know. When will those not come? I mean, it's less and less. It is. It is, but anyway... Um, my day is uh, is long because I live in Sherman Oaks and work in Culver City, and the 405 sucks, and so I don't have a lot of time for sponsees. So right now I just have one sponsee who calls me in the morning as I'm getting ready for work. Um, I exercise. Again, I had to forgive myself for not going every day because I used to just beat myself up. Oh, you didn't go today. Oh, you didn't go today. And then pretty soon I wasn't going at all. So today I know that. Some weeks I go three times, some weeks I go five, some weeks I go one, some weeks I don't go. It is what it is. I'm really working on accepting who I am today and liking myself today. And I've got to tell you, it's a lot easier liking myself at 150 pounds than it was at 282 pounds. Um, so, and, and that's just the way it is. Um, I really don't like myself at that weight. Um, I, uh, it, weight loss has brought up a spending issue because I buy a lot of clothes. Some of it you have to, because you can't wear what you wore. But um, I'm a spender, and, uh, and it's easy for me. You know, if I don't want to eat, I'll go to the store. And so one day at a time, I haven't been spending. And it's not easy, but, it, it, you know, it is what it is. I, I have a food plan. And, uh, oh, doctor's opinion. When I started working with the sponsor... And she had me read Doctor's Opinion again. And for the thousandth time, that's where I read and I heard about the phenomenon of craving. And I said, okay, what is it that takes you out? And it's the white flower. I mean, give me a quesadilla and I go into, it's like having a joint. You know, I like being put into a coma. I'm not a speed freak. I like the coma stuff. So um, one day at a time, I don't do any white processed foods, flour, sugar, whatever. And i got to tell you, in the beginning it was a little difficult, but now I am so grateful. It's natural for me now. I went on a business trip ten days in Cancun, and I worked. Not, ah, yes, it was hard work, but I was in Cancun with all this Mexican food, and I did not was not even tempted with any of the flour stuff. Um, I don't really do bread. I don't do bread. Not really. I don't do bread. Um, I have some whole grain crackers or whole grain pasta. But I found that by not doing those foods, it doesn't set me up to eat. And uh, that, that's a miracle. Uh, when I was in Cancun, it was like, oh, my God, I don't want to eat. Now I don't even think about how I don't want to eat. It's just the way I live my life today. So... My abstinence is three meals and two snacks, and my food plan is uh, no white stuff, one day at a time. And um, I think that's about what I do on a daily basis. I don't report my food because if I don't eat what I reported, I feel shame, and then I lie, and it just gets me going. So that doesn't work for me. My sponsee reports her food. She asks to do it, and she does it. So, you know, um, so I love about this program, there's uh, it. it's the same program but works different ways. Um, a couple weeks ago, I went to my 35th high school reunion, and uh, I felt invisible one more time. And I looked damn good, but I felt invisible. And just old tapes one more time with all the, the, the guys and the cheerleaders and all that stuff. It just brought it all back. But you know what? I had a good time anyway. I had a good time being back there. I was in New York in October. It's a great time to be there. I saw my old house. You know, I, it was a small town. Went on, you know, the main street and the store. It was just great. I had a really good time. And I didn't have to pack a bath sheet. Because I used to always have to pack a bath sheet. Because I was in a hotel. And I knew that the towels wouldn't fit me and I was sharing a room. I can't tell you the freedom I feel being at a normal, healthy body weight. Uh... I don't have to have two suitcases the carry on with the extra clothes because God forbid if my suitcase got stolen what was I going to do I wouldn't be able to find a lot of clothes so today I just check all my baggage and I can go buy clothes if it's (laughs) so anyway so that's you know that's been my path um I love this program it's taught me how to live I wish everybody was in a 12 step program I really do um I live program today. It's ingrained in me. Uh, life sometimes gets in the way of my meetings, but I, um, I get to at least one a week, and I give service where I can, and um, that's it. So I just, for the newcomers, keep coming back. If anybody's been around for a while and struggling, just keep coming back, and I'm just grateful to be here. Thank you. Okay, we're open for questions because we still have a little bit of time. Does anybody have a question? Yes. Thanks for sharing. Uh, I'm not trying to be a smile Do you, do you eat meat? Yes. Not often, though. Uh-huh. Not because I did so much of it. I just chicken and fish are healthier, but I'm actually making a pot roast tomorrow. So, yes. <laughs> but, you know, I, now I have to buy it. I didn't have to buy it when I was a kid. So. <laughs> But I do. Thank you so much for your share. How has your own concept of God changed? Oh, the question is, how has my concept of God changed? For the most part, I believe that God is not a punishing God. Um, my mom has a lot of health problems, and every once in a while I think, what did she do to deserve this? And she smoked. That's what she did. You know, that's what my sponsor reminds me, that You know, um, um, I, uh, I feel God's in my corner. Um, I feel God has taken care of me. A lot of very bizarre things happened around my husband's death, and I knew God was taking care of me. So, um, that's how it's changed. I know God is there for me. How do you work on acceptance on a daily basis, especially around your husband's death? How do I work on acceptance on a daily basis? Well, one, when my husband died, was when I learned the word powerless. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what really powerless was. And, uh... I got that there was nothing I can do except accept. Accept, accept. And I know that if I live in acceptance and turn my will and my life over to God, then I'm going to have a clean day, a real clean day. So, um I read acceptance a lot and you know it's just I know that that's what's going to make me feel better. Um I don't like having the inner struggle i don't like feeling that way anymore i don't like having issues with people so just like i don't want to make amends anymore i keep my side of the street clean same thing i just okay there's what can i do about the situation check it out with my sponsor if there's nothing i can do i can either feel miserable or accept and for the most part i accept but there are days i feel miserable Yes? Thank you for sharing. Uh, you mentioned remembering your very last binge. Do you remember anything that did something settle in, or did you feel a voice, what was it that definitely you feel surrendered to give it up? Uh, the question is um, remembering my last binge and then what made me uh, be okay with giving it up. Um, the, pa- the pain of eating. It was... I was so focused on eating and no longer about him dying. And when I realized that, then I knew that this was pretty bad. Because the worst thing that ever happened to me in my whole life was the fact that he died. And now I'm feeling more miserable about putting food in my mouth. And so it was just, you know, I wish I could bottle that moment when I've surrendered because I'd be very wealthy. Um, Because it came when I was ready, I guess, and... It, it just did, just like when I was ready to work the AA-12 12 and 12, it was there. So I had to go through what I went through. Yes? Yeah. How do you go through the steps with your sponsee? Uh, how do I go through the steps with my sponsee? Um, the the sponsor that I had that took me through the AA-12 12 and 12, um, there were questions, and she sent them to me. So that's what I do. She's in the AA-12 12 and 12, and I have her read the step, and then answer the questions and then she'll come over to my house and read it and we talk about it and then she moves on to the next what gave you the hope to keep coming back over those 21 years without the uh, recovery what gave me the hope of keep coming back because there were people in these rooms that had it and i kept hearing you know if i can have it you can have it and um I, I couldn't believe that I was that special, that it wouldn't work for me, although there were days where, you know, I felt that I was unique. But, you know, you're here in these rooms, you're not. And so I just had hope that, you know, when I saw other people that got it, that I, you know, it, you know I, don't, I don't know who it is, somebody's, if, you know, if I can do this, anybody can do it. Um, it's the truth, anybody can do it. It's just a matter of putting down the food and doing the work. And I just was never willing to do that. That's about it. Thank you.